Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, They are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, 
I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of this patriarch of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Will you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, we come this morning with your word open before us, 
desiring to hear from you. Father, I'm reminded of these words of the Apostle Paul in regard to his speech and preaching, how they were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but delivered in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that the faith of those in Corinth should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Father, I pray this morning that what would be put on display would be a demonstration of your spirit. And I pray, Father, that your word would point us all to your Son, Jesus Christ. We know, Lord, that the ministry of the Holy Spirit does just that. He points us to the very things, the very words of Jesus. So, Father, I pray that our attention this morning would be toward Jesus. I pray, Father, that in all things you would get glory this morning through this word of yours. Father, may we grow in increasing measure in our love for you and our love for your word. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to begin this morning in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel, chapter 7, I just begin reading in verse 7. The Philistines, they heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah. The lords of the Philistines went up against Israel, and when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day. And so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below Beth-car. Then, verse 12, Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. You know, I was reminded of this passage as I was studying Acts 2 and thinking about those moments in our lives when God shows up. Those God moments. And you know, the people of God, as we see in the scriptures, it's it's fascinating to see the number of times, the number of occasions when God's people 
erect some kind of monument. They have these stones that serve as markers for where the Lord has taken them by hand, if you will. By how the Lord has shown them who He is. You see this Ebenezer, this stone of help. I thought this morning, just as we begin, because you see the Bible says in the New Testament that we've been given a helper. Well, this helper is a bit different than the one we just read about in 1 Samuel. You see, because this helper dwells within us, the Bible says. Forever. Praise the Lord for that. But I would like you just to take just a moment. And I know many of you take notes and what have you. And and if you don't take notes, that's fine. You You can do it up here in your mind this morning. But I'd like to just take 10, 20 seconds. To think of perhaps the most recent, what I'll call, God moment in your life. And perhaps your life. It could also be in your family's life. But jot down what that may be. When you last saw God doing something and recognized it as God doing something, God working, God moving in such a way, perhaps you didn't consider it at the time, but given some time right here, right now, you look back and you can see God's hand was definitely there. God was working and orchestrating something in your life, in your family's life during that time. Take just a moment and jot that down. You see, I'd like to encourage you not just to jot it down today, but perhaps it could be a pattern in your own life. Perhaps it might be helpful for us, would it not, to write down and chronicle these God moments in our lives. To be able to look back and see what God was doing in our lives. So that we could give Him praise. And it's a a continuous journal of your journey with the Lord. And your recognition of what God is doing in your life. I, I really enjoy that passage in Samuel 7. And then there in verse 12, Samuel took that stone and set it up and called its name Ebenezer, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. Has the Lord helped you to this point, church? I mean, here you sit today in a chair, July 1st, 2012, And you think back in your life and you think about where you once were. You think about who you once were. You think about the things that you used to do. The ways that you used to spend your time. Can you look back and then fast forward to today and and can you see the evidence of the Lord at work in your life? Have you been able to see Him sanctify you and set you apart from those things that you used to do, those, you're not doing those things anymore. Praise the Lord. That's the Lord's work in you. 
It's important that we see and recognize and our attention is drawn to what God is doing. You know, people today are so concerned, it seems, about what they themselves are doing. It seems like our default goes to self, doesn't it? But ought we not, as people of God, be about practicing, be about living, recognizing in the day-to-day what God is doing? Ought we not be a people that speak forth the very words of God? And we talked about this a little bit last week as Peter stands to speak and he essentially gives a proclamation to that new community of believers and says, hey, church, we're going to take action. And the action that we're going to take, we're going to take it because this is what the word of God says. Sounds good to me. Sounds like it's a good practice for us even yet today that we take action based upon what the Word of God says. You know, we've all had these God moments. And you know, I I subtitled the message today, Another God Moment. Because you see, there are many, are there not, in the Scripture? This is another one. It's not the first one. This is another God moment. But you know, we all have these moments. And and these moments, when they come, the tendency perhaps is to, to just step back and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your watchful care. Thank you for the word that you've given to me, that you have revealed yourself here in this word and provided truth upon which I can stand, a truth so desperately needed in this world we live in today, church. Some of you have experienced these God moments in the hospital room. family member, a friend, has cancer. Doctors come in to report that it is no longer detectable. Perhaps your God moment came in the mailbox. A check arrived at just the right time to pay off those bills that were due. You see, we need to mark those God moments, times when the hand of the Lord is upon you for a particular season, for a particular purpose, to accomplish the Lord's intended purposes and mission. And we're going to see today in Acts 2 that mission is going to get launched and birthed through this new community called the church. Maybe your God moment takes you back to the time when you saw true repentance in the lives of your children. And you see the fruit 
being produced in their lives. And you take time to give God glory for His goodness in saving them. You know, how often do you thank Him for the moment that you are saved? That ought to be a daily. Daily. Because you see, you were dead in your trespasses. But Ephesians chapter 2 says, God, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. He saved you, church, by grace through faith. Being born again. Think about it. Is that not a God moment? (laughs) Being born again? We share these God moments together. The church. Even today is sharing in a God moment as we come before God's word. When we pray with one another when we participate together in the Lord's Supper. Each Lord's Day is a unique God moment in history. It's a privilege to be here. You see, He's at work in your life. He's at work in the life of your family. But we need to understand that He's accomplishing His purposes, the Bible says the manifold wisdom of God is intended to be made known by the what? Church. Ephesians 3.10. And it's this church that begins to take shape right here in the book of Acts. Praise the Lord for the book of Acts. It gives us a wonderful snapshot of this early church. A wonderful picture of what God was doing in his church. A wonderful picture of what God desires to do even today in his church. It's right here in Acts 2. Now we could spend a long time here in Acts 2. I don't know how many weeks we'll spend in Acts 2. We're going to look at the first four verses today. There's a wonderful sermon that's coming up in chapter 2. There's going to be an explanation in verses 5 through 13 that we'll get to perhaps next week. But then there's going to be a preached word helping everyone there who had gathered on that day, who heard the sound, helping them understand what's going on. And I was reminded about this, about how important it is to have somebody explain what's going on. Children, you ought to praise the Lord if you've got a dad and a mom who help you understand what the Word says. Remember, the eunuch and Philip. Remember that story? 
we'll get to it. I, 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 that's, that's one of my favorites. But he runs alongside the chariot and asks him if he understands, right, what, what he's reading. I, I, don't, I don't understand it. And he hops up in the chariot and he explains, beginning in that passage in Isaiah, right? Speaking to him about the things of Christ. Church, we have been given in the Holy Spirit. Someone who helps translate. Someone who helps, under, helps us understand the very things of God. Right? Paul says that in Corinthians chapter 2. That the Holy Spirit... It's been given to us from God that we might understand him, how he functions, how he works. And the natural man doesn't understand because, you see, these things are spiritually discerned, Paul says, Corinthians chapter 2. You know, as I was considering these God moments in the pages of Scripture, we see Acts 2 is, is just a... Another, another piece of the puzzle, if you will. There, there, there's been a lot that has happened up to this point, pointing toward the events here in Acts 2. The apostles have been waiting. They were told to wait in Jerusalem. They were told to wait for the promise of the Father and the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had given them a commission to be his witnesses with his power. That's key. Just a reminder in Acts 1.8. That, that's key. That we are to be witnesses, not in our own strength, not doing it how we'd like to do it, but do it with his power. That's how he's drawn it up. And so as the text opens in Acts chapter 2, the waiting is about to come to an end. Another God moment is about to take center stage on the historical timeline of events. Do you see what's happening here, church? I, I want to point this out because we're going to spend some time looking at context of Acts 2. Really, just to be put this forward in terms of outline for these four verses. Verse 1 is going to really set the context. We're going to talk about that. This day of Pentecost. What that is. Why that's so important. God's timing for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, verse 2, we're going to hear a sound. There's going to be a sound from heaven. Verse 3, there's going to be sight, something that they see. And verse 4, there's going to be some speaking. And we'll fill that in just a bit. But in general, those are the words that we'll look at and use as we get to those verses. Look at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come... They were all with one accord in one place. Perhaps here we're looking at the now 12 apostles, right? They just added 
they just replaced Judas with Matthias. And remember, why did they do it? Why did they take that action? Not because Peter thought it would just be a good idea. No, they took the action because this is what the word said. So they've replaced him with Matthias. But Acts 1, verse 12, 13, and 14, and even into 15, 15 tells us how many. This new community, the roster was 120 names. They're gathered together. In fact, when you look at verse 14 of chapter 1, we see that they were together in that upper room with one accord. There's that phrase, one accord. And what were they doing? They were praying. And we talked about, remember, some of the things, no doubt, that they would have been praying for in that upper room as they waited the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had just ascended. They returned to Jerusalem in obedience to what Jesus himself had spoken. And so they spend their waiting time in continual prayer and in continual worship. The end of Luke's gospel, chapter 24, tells us that they were in the temple quite often and that they were worshiping and blessing God. So continual worship in general, specifically in that upper room, in continual prayer. I want you to take a brief look at what happened. What had been going on over these past few weeks leading up to Acts 2 verse 1? Okay, let's do a quick rewind. Okay, this, this is not boring, by the way. Okay, this is not the time to, you know, think about lunch. I want you to follow with me because all of these things lead up to Acts chapter 2 verse 1. Context. Okay? Jesus had spent a great deal of time addressing that he was about to depart from this world. Remember, on three different occasions, in three gospel accounts, Jesus gathers his disciples and he says, Hey, here's what's about to happen. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be spit upon. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be killed. And then three days later, I'm going to be raised. He said that on three different occasions in three Gospels. He's talking to them about what's to come. And then we see Jesus arrested, handed over by one of his very own, right? Judas accompanied the soldiers with their torches, lanterns, and weapons into the garden, into that place that at one time that was a place of intimacy for Jesus and his twelve and this was the very place where Judas brings the soldiers. And they arrest Jesus. And in short order, he is carrying his cross. And you remember the words in John's gospel, Jesus is on the cross and he cries out, it is finished. And he dies laying down his life. You know, it's interesting that when Paul writes about who we once were, he then inserts this phrase, we who once were far away have been brought near. How is it that we're brought near? By the blood of Jesus. 
by what happened at the cross. See, church, it was at the cross where, as the hymn writer says, where you too first saw the light, that cross moment, where you came to understand, you were enabled for the first time to understand that your sin had been dealt with. That double cure, the songwriter speaks of, that power of sin and the guilt of sin had been once for all taken away by Jesus at the cross. The Bible says that he was buried. The Bible also says that three days later, Jesus was raised, the resurrection. He lives. Death has been defeated. He lives that you too, as Paul writes, might now walk in what? Newness of life. Because Christ was raised, you and I, if we have Christ in us through the Holy Spirit, the purpose now, the intention now, is that we're to walk in newness of life. That's where the power of Romans 6, that the understanding of our union with Christ is so important. Because we not only died with Christ, but we also have been raised with Christ. To walk in newness of life. Something ought to be different. That's why Paul says in Corinthians chapter 5. The old's gone. The new has come. Church, it's time that the world around you comes to see the new creation in you. But we're not done. Jesus spent 40 days, according to Acts chapter 1, verse 3. He spent 40 days following his resurrection, speaking to his disciples about what? This is good. There's a little mystery here, but it's wonderful to see. Speaking about the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know what all that meant or what all that was. We've got a general idea of what Jesus spent time talking to his disciples about during those 40 days post-resurrection. I tend to believe those things pertaining to the kingdom of God had a lot to do with what was about to happen. (laughs) Teaching them, instructing them, Here's what you need to be doing. Here's what's going to be happening. Here's how you need to be equipped. And it was a 40-day teaching in this context. You see, Jesus had been sharing with his disciples about this other counselor, this other helper yet to come, right? John's gospel. Remember, we looked in that window of time in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. We studied and we looked at those passages. And in John chapter 16, verse 17, verse 7, Jesus is saying that if I depart, I will send to you another counselor, another helper, if I depart. Okay, so... He's getting ready to leave. He's still around post-resurrection. He's getting ready to leave. And the disciples have been told to wait in Jerusalem. They've been told to wait for the promise. Wait for the Spirit. And they've been given a mission in Acts 1 verse 8. 
Here's what you're going to do with this power that you're going to receive. You're going to be witnesses to me. Let's, let's think about the priority here that you have in Christ. And Jesus is saying, here's your priority. In the time that you have, here's your priority. Be a witness to me. And there are many things today that perhaps have come alongside or trumped that priority from the Lord. The priority from the Lord is that we are to be witnesses to him, to Christ. Because you see, the spirit in us, that's, that's what he does. He points us to Christ, to the very words of Jesus. And so that then ought to be reflected in how we live. We, we've seen Jesus in Acts 1, he's ascended. And remember those two men in white show up? Remember that? And they, they were showing up to confirm for the disciples because up to that point, remember, Jesus had been appearing, reappearing, appearing, reappearing. And the angels show up and say, he's not coming back anymore. He's going up to heaven to be with his father. Oh, he'll be back. But for right now, he's done. He's not going to pop back in anytime real soon. And so, hey, stop gazing and get, get going with the work that he's called you to do. So the ascension became then a very important part of what we're talking about here in this, this context leading up to Acts chapter 2. The disciples had just rallied around the end of chapter 1. They just rallied around the word of God. Peter stands to speak and he's calling the church to action based upon what the word of God says. So take into consideration the context of all that's happened. And then you read Acts 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were together of one mind in one place. And oftentimes when we hear the day of Pentecost, we're reminded probably immediately of the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And that's good. But I would like to call your attention again to some understanding here that that the day of Pentecost was a, Jew, it was a Jewish feast, a celebration. There was a story that was told through this particular feast. A remembrance, if you will. In fact, these feasts that were in place, when you look back in the Old Testament, and you see the Passover... Right, the Passover on that first day, followed by starting on the next day after Passover, you had the feast of what's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And sometimes these are all known just by the word Passover. It, it kind of encompasses all of. But th- there, there was the day of Passover. There was then the week of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then a day after the Unleavened Bread feast occurred, there was the first fruits. And you know what's interesting when you look at that and you study that out a little bit? Passover was on this particular day. The very next day then began the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The day after that 
was the first fruits. Well, most of us in here probably have an understanding of what happened Passover time. It's a time when we usually talk about Christ's death and his resurrection. And you see those feasts are pointing our attention not only to the history of God's people and the reminder, right, that Passover, you remember that back in Exodus? You might remember the story when the blood was put over the doorpost and the angel of death passed over. And the rescue of God's people from bondage and slavery. The reminder to God's people of God's great rescue. It's interesting to look and see how those events in history also point us forward to the very things that occurred. And and maybe even even as we're looking at Acts 2, the things that have occurred just recently in the context. Christ's death, Christ's burial, Christ's resurrection. Three core components of the gospel to which we hold. This day of Pentecost in the Bible, it's known by two other names. If you are reading in the Old Testament, the Feast of Weeks, Leviticus 23... And the Feast of Harvest in Exodus 23. The Feast of Weeks. Seven weeks after the Sabbath. From the day, the text says, that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. Seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Fifty days total. Those days begin to count the seven weeks from the time you put the sickle to the grain. Deuteronomy 16 verse 9 says... This same feast, this feast of harvest, it's called the feast of harvest in Exodus 23. speaks of the first fruits of your labors, which you've sown in the field. And you know, as you think about the significance of the Jewish feasts, what is the the significance of Pentecost? What's different about Pentecost? Well, if you turn just for a moment, Deuteronomy chapter 16 Deuteronomy chapter 16, and looking at verses 16 and 17. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses. Okay, three times. Here are those three times. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, okay, that was the Passover time. At the Feast of Weeks, that's Pentecost. And at the Feast of Tabernacles, that'll come a little bit later in the fall. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he gives you. So there were three required annual feasts. Unleavened bread or Passover, which was in the spring. Then you had the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, which was late spring, early summer. And then you had Feast of Tabernacles or Booths, which came later in the fall. And so looking at these feasts, And asking the question what they represented and what they point to. That Passover, that exodus from Egypt. Reminder of a God moment. The reminder of the time in Israel's past. This is where you once were and this is what God did. 
to rescue you from the hands of Egyptian bondage. The Passover lamb sacrificed, pointing to the time when Jesus rescued his people, bringing them out of darkness into that kingdom, as Colossians says, that kingdom of light. Those who are covered by that blood are saved. We also see in the unleavened bread, Exodus 13, 3 says, By strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread should be eaten. Leaven, oftentimes in the scripture, is representative of what? Sin. A recognition of what the Lord did for them. Pointing toward, pointing toward a time when Jesus would take away the sins of the world. You remember John chapter 1, verse 29? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was John pointing out to his disciples who this man Jesus was. This is the Lamb of God. This is the Lamb of God. He's the one who is about to take away the sins of the world. Pointing to what happened at the cross. And then there's the first fruits. The priest bringing before the Lord a wave offering from the land on the day after the Sabbath. And you know, I was, I was looking at the, at the scriptures and I was, I was drawn to Corinthians 15 and 20 through 22, 23. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man, capital M, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits. Afterward, those who are Christ's at his coming. Pointing yet again to something that we long for even yet today, his return. Well, the next feast in line after those three that I mentioned, what the New Testament calls and refers to as Pentecost. So, what God moment on the timeline of history is Pentecost. See, this was the time of celebrating God's goodness in the harvest. And we think about the harvest, the agricultural concepts that were there. Many of you are well aware of the agricultural end of things. From the grain, to the barley, to the wheat. This was a time the people of God were called to remember the Lord. For it's God who gives. It's God who provides the harvest. It was a thanksgiving to God for all that he'd given. It was gratitude to God for the harvest. 
It celebrated the beginning of the harvest season. It was pointing toward, though, the much-anticipated arrival of the Holy Spirit who would bring about, through available witnesses, a harvest of souls. The church is born... You see it, it's like it just comes to life. And I say it comes to life. It comes to life not because of what man does. It comes to life because of the life that gets breathed into those people on this day. So, I want you to see a little bit of the significance of where Pentecost sits and why this particular feast was so important and And as we develop through chapter 2, we're going to come to see why this was a great day. In God's timing, this was His perfect way of sending the Holy Spirit. Ministry of the Holy Spirit. Oh, this this will be good, and we'll be able to see this as we go. Now having some context, some behind the scenes of what was going on in the life of God's people. These feasts play a significant role in the timeline of events both in the history and the story of Israel and also what they're pointing toward in the future. They tell a story of the people of God. And they point in all things to the God who makes himself known. Well, Acts 2 is yet another God moment whereby God reveals himself once again in history to his people. I mean, think about how God has shown up All the way back to Genesis. Creation. In the beginning, God created. What about the work he did in the life of Noah? The work he did in the life of Abraham? The work he did in the life of Moses? David. The prophets. Kings. Pointing toward the king of kings yet to come. The incarnation. Emmanuel, God with us. Crucifixion, the death of Christ. His burial, his resurrection, his ascension. And now, another God moment. The arrival of the Holy Spirit. So with context in mind. And and church, as I've said, and I'll say it again, it's so important to have context. Content, context. You can talk about content and still no doubt learn and gain an understanding, but it becomes so helpful when you have context and you have an understanding of what's going into this, what's around it. Helps us understand a little bit more, a little bit more clearly Why this is here? Why are we talking about it right now? Why is it here? Context helps. So, we're going to see in verses 2 and 3 some externals, some external evidence of the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Let's look at this. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
those first two words, draw your attention to those, and suddenly. You see, those gathered understood the Holy Spirit was coming. Jesus told them the Holy Spirit's coming. They just didn't know exactly when. They just didn't know exactly how. But they knew he was coming. Suddenly, and suddenly, where they were sitting, right? I don't know what they were doing. They were sitting down. Maybe it was a moment of of leisure for them as they were sitting. Perhaps they were in worship, prayer. I, I, I don't know for sure. Context would lead us to believe that that's what they were doing. They were spending much time in prayer and in worship. Perhaps that was what was going on when the Lord shows up. But suddenly, there came a sound from heaven. Let's not miss that phrase. There came a sound from heaven. What Luke is describing here as he is moved by the Holy Spirit. Have you ever, have you ever realized that, that when the writer is trying to describe something that's difficult? Sometimes, he, as best as he knows how, he puts it into writing. This is what I'm seeing. You know, I think about you know, Ezekiel the prophet. And all the things Ezekiel saw. <laughs> and the descriptions that are there. Would have been difficult, no doubt. Obviously, he's being carried along, moved to write those very words by the Holy Spirit. But as we have these words recorded for us, suddenly there came a sound from heaven. The sound that was heard in the house that day on Pentecost was from heaven. Okay? Let's understand that. It was from heaven. By the way, verse 3, it doesn't say what they saw came from heaven, but I have a tendency to believe it came from heaven too, what they saw. This is a supernatural event. (laughs) Suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Now he's going to give us a descriptor of the sound. As of a rushing mighty wind. As of. You're going to see that phrase as of in verse 3 too. Okay. As of. He's, he's, he's trying to give us a flavor of what this sound was like. It was like a rushing mighty wind. What comes to mind when you think of a rushing mighty wind? Oh, I was thinking about a tornado. The, the, the force of, of wind. A great storm in and of itself. A rushing, mighty wind. Keep in mind, as they're in this place where they're sitting, doesn't say that they felt the effects of the wind in terms of... The sound was a sound... As of a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Picture that. I'm picturing that as loud. 
And you know what's interesting? Is the number of times when we think about God moments in history, number of times where the sound from heaven awakens and calls to attention people here. You know, I was just thinking even uh, simple things like the, the announcement of, of, of Christ's birth. You know, the, the, the shepherds are out in the field doing what shepherds do. And angels show up. Remember the text? They have a word. There's a sound. In fact, there's a host of angels. Glory to God in the highest. And they're announcing the arrival of a Savior. We also see that at Christ's death, I was reminded of this in Matthew chapter 27. You remember what happened after Jesus yielded his spirit? Matthew's gospel says that the temple curtain was torn in two. Matthew's gospel says there was an earthquake. Matthew's gospel says that graves were opened up and people started walking around. See, there was a sound, maybe multiple sounds in that particular context in Matthew 27. Right? Sound. A sound from God. This is coming from heaven, this sound that's filling up the house. Filling up the house where they were sitting. Look at verse 3. There appeared to them, there appeared to them, this is something they saw. Divided tongues. As of fire. As of fire. That's the picture we're getting here. Wind and fire. Sound of mighty rushing wind and what appeared to them as these divided tongues of fire. And, and you know, you picture these little, you know, little just fire, little sparks of fire on top. It says sat on each one of them. And so, you know, if you're in the room and you're looking around and you're seeing this guy, hey, he's got, got and the guy's pointing it back at you. You've got one over. All the people that were in the house had the, it was visual. They could see it. And you know, let's stop and think about this for just a moment. The picture that we're given here of the arrival of the Holy Spirit, okay, the, the evidence that, that Luke, as he's moved by the Spirit, is giving us of the arrival of the Holy Spirit. God is awakening their senses to it's time. The Holy Spirit is here. Sometimes He awakens your senses to do that very thing. To get your attention. The wind. Remember John chapter 3? That's an interesting text. Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus. Remember that? That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said that to you. You must be born again. Here it is. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
See, Jesus is teaching Nicodemus right here in John chapter 3 about the Spirit using this picture of wind. In the Old Testament, that word is a word that's used oftentimes with spirit, breath. You know, even looking in, in Genesis and you see how the man became a living being. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. You see here in the arrival of the Holy Spirit, man was about to become truly a living being in that God was breathing. He was sending the Father and the Son, tag team, the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And so now the Holy Spirit is going to come. And this is, this is so important. You see, previously in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit had come upon people, had he not? I'll just point you, there's many places you could go. I'll point you to the book of Judges. The book of Judges happens to be a, a place where you encounter it on many occasions. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. And this, in fact, there are many times when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson. Judges 13, 14, 15, 16. Spirit of the Lord comes upon the people for a particular purpose, for a particular time. We also see in the text that just as the Holy Spirit comes upon someone in, in Samuel chapter 16, while the Spirit of the Lord comes upon David from that day forward, the very next verse talks about how the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Oh, and that ought to stir us up into thinking then about how then David in Psalm 51 can say, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. See, sometimes maybe we, we miss that. In Acts 2, this Holy Spirit arrives not to just come upon people for a particular period of time. This Holy Spirit arrives, Jesus says in his gospel, this Holy Spirit is dwelling within us forever. Amen for that. We don't have to question and doubt, is God going to take the Holy Spirit away from me? No, if the Holy Spirit is in you, we can stand on what he has spoken in his word that his spirit is within us forever. So you see how in the Old Testament the spirit came upon. We see then in the life and ministry of Jesus that the Holy Spirit was with in the person of Jesus himself. And now with the arrival of the Holy Spirit it's about to change because the ministry of the Holy Spirit now is within Within. He is within you. So, those are some good things. There's some good news there. They, they, they heard this sound from heaven. They saw these divided tongues as of fire. As of fire. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of the ministry of John the Baptist. Remember in the ministry of John the Baptist... He spoke that there's going to be one who's going to come after him. Whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. And he's going to come and 
He's going to baptize you with the Spirit and fire. It's interesting. How the Lord shows up in this picture of fire. And we think of fire, and sometimes we think about judgment too, don't we? Oh, well, that fits really well, not only with what's going to happen when Jesus comes back, but it fits really well because Jesus said in John's gospel that one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin. And he's going to come and he's going to also convict them of judgment. Come, Righteousness. Speak to them about righteousness. You see, fire. And you see God showing up in the fire. Remember when those three guys were thrown into the fiery furnace? Remember God showing up? That was one of those God moments. He shows up in the midst of the fire. These pictures, these images of fire. God's presence. And it's a picture here given at the arrival of the Holy Spirit. As of fire. And one sat upon each of them. Let me bring this out on that phrase. One sat upon each of them. The Holy Spirit's ministry is no doubt within the life of the individual. But I also want to call your attention to the fact that the Holy Spirit's ministry is in large part Something that we carry out together, right? We are called to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh, right? Romans 8. But we are also called in Galatians chapter 5 to keep in step one another, the body. Keep in step with whom? With the spirit. It's important that we understand and see and recognize the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives individually, but also understand that this is for the church as a whole, that we operate and keep in step with what the Holy Spirit is doing. So they heard something. They saw something. These were external pieces of evidence of the Holy Spirit and His arrival. But they also, verse 4, says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Two pieces of external evidence. And now we have in verse 4, internal evidence. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to what? Speak. They began to speak. And I, I, I just pause right there because that in and of itself is instruction for the church. You see, when you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit, we have lots to speak about. We have a Savior about whom we need to be speaking. We have a Savior, we have a Lord that we are to be talking to others about. 
And on this particular day, the Holy Spirit shows up. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're filled now with an understanding that before they hadn't had. In fact, you remember what in John's Gospel, chapter 7, remember on that, that, that last day of the feast, Jesus stands, if anyone thirsts, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning what? The Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. Acts chapter 2 is unveiling. They're receiving it right now, Acts chapter 2. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given. Why? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. That's why, church, the ascension became so important. Jesus was now glorified, and he said that if I depart, I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit. And out of you will come flowing rivers of living water. Church, I need to ask the question. Is your life more like a stagnant pond? Or rivers of living water? Is the water moving? Is it flowing? Is there life? Or is it just stagnant? Collecting seaweed, algae, all that yuck, that green stuff. What's it look like? Because what I see Jesus talking about is this Rivers of living water flowing out of you. The Holy Spirit does that in you. There ought to be evidence of this Holy Spirit working in and through you. Well, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak with other tongues. Other tongues. Glossolalia, other tongues, other languages. Next week we're going to get in to fill this in just a bit. But these were tongues. These were languages that were understood. You're going to see that as people hear the sound and gather together and hear the words spoken. You're going to come to see and realize and recognize that the people were hearing these words of God being proclaimed in their own dialect. You see, these Galileans were speaking with other tongues. And how were they doing that? As the Spirit gave them utterance. The Holy Spirit gave them words to speak. The Holy Spirit gave them words to speak. Romans chapter 8. When we don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit is going to intercede, is He not? And provide those words to speak in moments we don't know what to say. Jesus says, you know what? Don't worry when people throw you in the synagogues. You'll be given what you need to say. Because the Spirit of Christ be in you. Don't worry when people persecute you because of my name. Because the Holy Spirit will give you words to speak. Church, when you go out and about, when you're with other people, are you relying upon only what you know? Think about it. All you know is, is, is very little compared to what the Spirit of God knows. The Spirit of God searches the deep things of God. He reveals those very things of God. So why 
Why are we settling for this, this what we know, this, this little limited window of what we know? <laughs> this is good news that we've been given the Holy Spirit and that he enables us to speak his words. I praise the Lord for that. Began to speak. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Also reminds me of words in our own lives. And asking the question, are your words church? Are they guided? Are your words guided by the Holy Spirit? Remember the Bible does say that we're going to be judged by by every word, aren't we? Our words count. Our words count. Oh, and I pray that as a church, that our words, the words that we speak, that we would truly have something to say. And what we have to say has been given to us by the Holy Spirit. And that's why, church, it's so important that we have the Word of God in us. The Word of God is like fuel. We don't have the Word of God. We're we're, we're lacking fuel. We're like that tree that's by the stream of water. <laughs> right? We need to be delight, delighting in the word, delighting in our relationship with the Lord, and out of that then comes that delighting in his word. Filled with the spirit, they began to speak as the spirit enabled them. So on this particular day of Pentecost... There was the external, the audio, and the visual. How many of you are audio, consider yourself audio learners? few of you. Visual? Okay, you like to see it. You know what? The Lord accompanied both on this day. Audio, visual. And the impact, this God moment, another God moment, this impacted, and it's going to set a spark, if you will, for what's going to come ahead, not only in Acts 2, but in the rest of the book of Acts, the rest of what's accounted for us in the New Testament, the rest of what's spoken of in regard to his church. These things are all going to come flowing out of what we're reading about right here. And the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Church, the encouragement this morning, the encouragement from the Word this morning. While we'll see as we keep going in the book of Acts, there are a few accounts that are similar to this Acts 2. There's one Acts 2. Some of the same things, same characteristics perhaps are described a little bit later in the book of Acts on a couple different occasions. But this Acts 2, this arrival of the Holy Spirit is the catalyst, the fuel for what the church was going to be doing and now is. We're we're here along down the history timeline. Here we are, we're all the way over here. And we're looking back and we see that arrival of the Holy Spirit. Here we are. And there are many of you here today who have the Holy Spirit in you. 
I want you to see what the arrival of the Holy Spirit meant. It meant something. Just like we talked about weeks back about baptism, right? Think about baptism. It means something. To the people in the first century, baptism meant something. They could lose their life by identifying themselves with Jesus. The Holy Spirit in you marks you, identifies you as one of his children. In fact, Romans 8 says that very thing. If the Spirit is not in you, you are not a child of his. Let's make sure we do not forget the origin. The, going back to Acts 2, 1, 2, and 3, and 4. Of that time when it, the sound and the visual from heaven came on that day of Pentecost. And the arrival of the Holy Spirit came. Praise the Lord for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And let us individually and together as a church understand that as we walk, we don't walk solo. We're not a bunch of individual units walking. No, no. We walk together in the Spirit. One Lord, one faith, one Spirit, right? Let's do that together. And let's praise the Lord today for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Let's praise the Lord today for His church. I'm excited to see where the Lord's going to take us as we continue in this study in Acts chapter 2. Peter's going to stand and speak and he's going to give us some more details. Next week we're going to see as the crowd gathers, the crowd's going to hear as well this sound and they're going to flock to it and then Peter's going to stand and speak and address What's going on? Because people don't understand. And Peter's going to give them an explanation of what's happening. And as a result of the explanation of what's happening, we're going to see at the end of this Acts 2, some 3,000 souls are going to be saved. Let's remember that. An understanding of what this is all about results in, according to Acts chapter 2, the results of that souls that get saved. And church, that never gets old. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. And are grateful for the work that you've done. The work that you have orchestrated from the beginning of time. How you brought this world into being. You spoke it into being. Let there be, and it was. You pronounced it good. Father, it's a joy to be able to see the historical timeline of events, those moments in which you showed up in the lives of your people. And Father, it's also encouraging to know that as you've done that in the past, you continue to do that today. And I praise you, Lord, for how you've worked in in, in my life and in our family's life. I pray on behalf of this church body, Lord, just thank you for how you've worked in the lives of, of the families that represent Hope in Christ Church.
I pray, Lord, that we would mark the moments that we see and recognize and are enabled to see you where you've shown up. Father, I pray that we would long for additional moments in our lives, in this church, when your presence is recognized. Thank you, Father, for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the role that your Holy Spirit plays in our lives, pointing us, drawing our attention to your Son, Jesus. May we truly be about that mission, that purpose, as the Holy Spirit is fueling that mission to be a disciple of yours, to walk as Christ walked, to be a witness of Jesus. Lord, we can't do any of those things without the ministry of your Holy Spirit in us. So Lord, we just declare and say thank you this morning. Thank you for this wonderful word that you've given to us, the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And while, Lord, we may not be able to piece everything together of what happened exactly in that room while they were sitting, you give us little pieces of what it might have been like. Father, we are grateful for that window to be able to look inside and see. May we be obedient in this day and in the days ahead to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. May we be obedient as a church to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. May we walk, may we speak, may we do the things, Lord, that you have directed us and called us to do in your word and do them in the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. And pray this in the name of Jesus, who is our Lord, he's our rock, he's our redeemer. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.